Michelle Rose Dom. Uh, so is it Dom or Dome? It's Michelle Dome. Dome. Like okay. Dome with a D. Okay, Michelle Rose Co- Dome. Sorry. God. <laughs> Boy, I thought it was Dom because it rhymes with bomb. Hey, man, I get it all the time. Okay. Yo, honeycombs. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Michelle's, I, Michelle's amazing. She's an actress. I believe she's also a singer. She has been, um, she's been like everyone's cheerleader when it comes to anyone doing anything creative. She has been a host for several months, probably, for um, at an uh, open mic at this place in Dallas called Chocolate Secrets. It's every Monday night at 7 or 8 p.m. Is that correct so far, Michelle? Yes, sir. Yep. She's she's lived in New York. She's lived in L.A. for a little bit. She's back home here. Oh, she's also lived in Florida, and she's back home in Dallas. But, you know, if any opportunities are available, she is willing to move and go anywhere where the opportunities are. Damn. Yep. Truth. Truth. And, Thank um, you. And... If I'm not mistaken, um, you got your degree in music. Is that correct or no? I did not get my degree in music. Dang. <laughs> um, my idiot. Apologies. Okay. So, all right. So, a couple, a couple of checkpoints, goalie post. Um, yes to most of that. The open mic that Aaron is so wonderfully giving a shout out to, Open Mic Mondays, by the way, is now online, um, yes. has been going on a year plus. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't directly live in New York when um, a show I was on in South Florida went on a hiatus. We went, my buddy and I, for two weeks in New York. Um, but it was very uh, an immersive experience. So that that was my, my stint of, of working in New York, living in New York. And mm-hmm. It still um, counts. Yeah, it still counts. It still counts. <laughs> Lonely Island. <laughs> um, and and also kind of technically with with going to an arts conservatory in Dallas, we have Booker T. Washington. Shout out HSPVA. I am a grad from there, and I got degrees there in in music and theater. Oh, so there is music. Yeah. Okay. So there's cool. The, there's the twist. That's the twist. Absolutely. And you also you also dabble in some comedy for sure. <laughs> you we've worked together on a sketch recently <laughs> uh, for Dishy Chicks, where you were an amazing Dishy actress. Chicks. Oh, so you, you got that range. I'm telling you, Thank you, you got man. that range. Hey, Aaron, you it wrote it. Here. Thank you, Parth. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. So Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. For anyone out here that's listening for the first time, um, uh, Barely Joking is on Instagram at Barely Joking, B-E-A-R-L-Y, uh, Twitter, we post jokes. We uh, we do special shout outs. And on the podcast itself, we just talk about jokes and and kind of like our process of making some funny material, you know? Uh, so we, I got to ask, could, did, did you yeah. guys already get into the spelling? Why it's barely B-E-A-R-L-Y? That's a really funny that's, story, actually. Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah. so barely joking was a name that I was planning on using for like one of my cartoon so i was into like writing not writing drawing sketches like comics and i planned on creating an instagram account and doing all that then i got lazy then we came up with this idea for a podcast and we needed a name so i'm like let's use barely joking and then aaron's like yo i have this logo of a bear and i'm like yo you know what you can do mm-hmm. you can change the spelling of the word bear like barely and now yeah. we have barely yeah. joking boom guys yeah awesome <clears throat> It was a real baby because like I had that logo for a couple of years. Like I made it, uh, I paid for it. And I was going to use it on something oh. else, but it just turned out to be better for, for this. So that's a really, that's a really crazy story that nobody knows except for yeah. everyone now. Everyone knows <laughs> it now. <laughs> Gold. 
Yeah, it was so, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you know, uh, so Michelle, you've been doing uh, a lot of acting around town and stuff like that. Now, how often do you actually write uh, some funny material? Cool, how do you even you. find the time? Um, finding the time. I mean, we, we got a lot of time right now, I feel. <laughs> yes, with, for sure. With being home and such. So it's it's actually been a lot easier. Um, but it, it's, it's I, I don't have a formalized schedule. I, I'm definitely not one of those people that can wake up and write for three hours. I think Parthi got into it on a past episode. Um, and mad mm. respect. Um, it's usually one of those things where I have a prompt. Someone says, I have this project. Can you look over it? In which case, like Battle of the Sketches came to be, right? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's what's been happening is in my usual quest. You know what? I take that back. <laughs> I redact my statement. Um, I do have a process where I go through casting notices every day. And that's its okay. own thing, like a good two, three hours. And in doing so lately, I've been seeing the call for writers. And it was kind of a, a, a natural flow. Um, a, the choice to sort of segue in made sense. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And do you find like, like, all right. So when you're, so what do you steer more toward? Like, um, when you, when you write comedy, are you steering toward more like stand up or do you steer more toward like sketch comedy? Sketch comedy for sure. But Ooh, I think within nice. the last, but within the last year, uh, like someone had challenged me, like, why not stand up? Why not try it and test out jokes? Good. Good. In that's which, what I want to hear. Right. <laughs> well, in which case that's, that's where I got into stand up. You know? Yeah, that makes sense now. And you know what? Like, I think that you just made Parth really sad right now. Yeah. Oh no. Like, no, because because you made Aaron very happy. You're like, I'm into mostly writing sketches, and I'm like, fuck sketches, bro. It was it was a fifty fifty shot. It was, and I was just like, you know, as as you noticed, I wasn't trying to push you in any direction. You were just like, it's just so naturally, uh, you know, when this. No, direction... but let me let me let me ask you this: Do you feel like you go into sketches mostly because you have the right like the way you're describing your process, a situation or prompt will come up and you end up writing a sketch on it. I feel like no, you're more inclined, right? I'll be, yes and no. I'll be, I'll be driving and an idea comes to me. And even if it's an inkling of something like a punchline or a premise, I write it down. It's not direct what, what comes, what inspiration okay. comes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not like all stand up. It's not like all sketch. I just write it down. If it seems funny to me, I'm like, someone else may laugh. Right. No, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, and like, all right, so as, as a question, as far as like your prompts, you, you get them from prompts, but do you also like just watch TV sometimes and 100%. you're just like, I can, I can make that scene better or like, yes, or pull some, some ridiculous character out from somewhere. Yes. A hundred percent. Like you get inspired with the character or you, you get inspired for something else, right? Like you can heighten and extend, like, what would that person's parents be like? Ooh, actually, you know, this is a good question for for this podcast, especially. Mm-hmm. Did you have any character that you've worked on before that was that you took from like a TV show? Ooh, question. Um, like a character monologue, possibly. Well, a hundred percent. Like in in doing monologue challenges, for example, like an actor has mm-hmm. to do like a minute monologue, right? That's been going around, and. Uh, anything from from comedic television so i see a lot of parks and rec a lot of things coming out of scrubs yeah um all right so what yeah what's one character that that you that you can remember that you you uh you wrote yourself and um you know like what was their what was their deal what was their point of view Mm. okay uh 
We're like going back in the recesses. <laughs> going back in the time machine. Yes. 1997. That was the year. <laughs> I've adapted. I've adapted a lot of things. Like like when I was a kid, I adapted um, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, but Ooh, it was okay. for a Hebrew day school, so there was a lot of a lot of things that could have been taboo. So things needed to be modified. You couldn't have the caterpillar, for example, smoking opium. So we just ended up using, there was, uh, I had this jump rope and it had holes in it, right? And it was basically something you use during the summer. And when you mm-hmm. jump rope with it, it would shoot water at everybody because you hook it up yeah. to a hose. Yeah, we use that instead. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like from the beginning of that story to right when you stopped, I'm like, this is hilarious. Did you say, <laughs> did you say Hebrew day school? I did. 14 what years is that? Life, what is that? It's like yeshiva, Torah, Mishnah on the daily. Like half your but that's day. a lot of material. That's like a lot of like yes. stuff for material, though. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I just think that sounds like that even sounds funny. Cause like I went to like Catholic schools, but like, like that was like normal to be like, oh yeah, we just, we praise God a little bit. And then we just get to the work really. <laughs> like it was like, like we went to church for sure. But like, it's almost like we didn't care, but you were just like, no, no, no. Like, it, like your school sounded like you were hardcore. Like, it you're studying that man. every day. Every day. Every day, man. Wait, so what I'm understanding is Catholic school, you pray to Jesus once a day, right. and then you go and start doing calculus. You move on with your schedule, and then you have recess <laughs> and gym class. And Hebrew school is just straight up God. Straight up God. You go in praying. That's the first thing you do. You do it three times during that day. Damn. All right. Lunch yeah. is kosher. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> I'm having bad flashbacks of like cardboard pizza. I feel like everyone got the cardboard pizza, you know? Yeah, man. Like I think that was standard. I think that's the one thing Hebrew school kept consistent, apparently. They're like, you know what? We're going to keep the pizza cardboard for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to like their sauce. experiences. Cider ranch sauce. It's yeah. something that had to make it taste good. Yeah. I. Oh, you know what? Parv, did you did you ever go to like a Catholic school or a Hebrew? No, why would Hebrew? I? I'm Hindu. Why would I go? Why would <laughs> you know, I go to a religion? You know what the fuck are you talking we about, bro? Life, man, we're learning a little bit now. <laughs> no, we don't have that shit. It's like you it in Hinduism it's pretty simple. It's basically uh you do you believe in God? Yeah, all right, cool. Go pray in the closet. No one wants to see that shit. Okay? <laughs> you you keep you keep your relationship with God very personal and you don't discuss it with any and I think that's how it should be, honestly. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's pretty simple. Nice. I mean, I, I went to temple every Saturday, but I, I'm never like, yeah, man, in temple, they used to make us like pray. It's like, yeah, you're in the temple. That's what you're going to have to do. <laughs> like, why? Who Who is going to the temple expecting? and not praying? Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, man, I went to temple and they didn't have like a basketball game going on. Like, what? <laughs> word, word. I every, You know, like whenever we went to church at like my Catholic schools, I felt like that was the equivalent of detention. Like I actually would have rather been in detention sometimes. I'm like, this is, this is boring, but at least if, if I'm in detention, I could just like think about other stuff, you know, without having to do like all these motions of getting up and getting down and, you know, eating some, some bad bread. And I can't even drink the wine because I wasn't even old enough. So I'm like, nothing is fun about this right now. (laughs) That's really fun. All right, so let's see. So Michelle, you, uh, you've been doing stand-up for around how long? Would you say about a year? About a year. Okay, Mm -hmm. awesome, awesome. Yeah, very new. Did you write anything new as 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 uh, the start of the quarantine? Been adapting 
material. Um, I have like little inklings that I'm working on as well. Ooh, you know what? We would love to hear it. Let's hear ah, it. One of the new inklings. Yeah. I mean, I think all of it is new, right? Because I haven't seen either of you at a stand-up show. Um, Calling <laughs> you out, Parth. Yeah. You move so I'm far. I'm literally away. in another you know state. I'm in New York. Like I'm in New Jersey, New York. Like where do you want me to do? Wait, what, what did you say, Michelle? Wait, we, you're, we in lost New, it. We're, you're in New York, New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah, that's where Parth is now. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Did you go home? No, I, or no, I live here no, you've always been in New York, New Jersey. Okay. No, yeah, I okay. was in Dallas till December, and then I moved. Got it. Okay. That's ah. why he hasn't been back. That's ah. why. <laughs> that's why he couldn't come to shows. Got it. Exactly. So he has like a legitimate see, you reason. See, like, Michelle put like, my, you see like Michelle put my name on like the end of the list. She's like, whenever he comes back, he's going to be last. I hope he has a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> she has the power of the open mics. She's the host. Yeah. A little bit. She's the host. Everyone just. See how show running goes. I'll tell you that much. Like, oh my God. Bit. Like, okay, fine. We reopened. We're a restaurant now. But like, do they really want live events still? I mean, we're talking. Lots of people all at once. Lots of cleansing. Yeah. Lots of lots of Purell. And like you know, and and part of it, uh, a part of going to Chocolate Secrets for open mics is, like mm-hmm. I I've only bought chocolate there like maybe twice out of all the times I've been there. Fair. I'm like they're not really making that much business from me, and I don't see a lot of people buying a lot of stuff either. But like uh, enough people do buy wine though, right? For sure to make it worth it. Yeah, I I would I would imagine that they would want to have the open mics when everything opens up for sure again. Right. I don't know. I'm just being optimistic, but that's what I'm same, thinking. Same, same. That's all we can do. <clears throat> so yeah. Oh, you know what? I I did ask if you had any if you were writing anything, but I also have this other question that you can answer before we even get there. Okay. When we when we open up, um, and we start having our open mics again, um. What do you do? You think that almost all the uh, material is gonna be coronavirus quarantine related jokes? Ah, uh, I can't imagine not acknowledging it at all. Would that mm. be weird? Mm-hmm. Right, as though it had never happened. By that same token, to hear Corona joke after Corona joke, that could grow grow gruesome. Oh like, yeah, for tired. sure. Mm-hmm. For sure, I I feel like I'm expecting it. Like yeah, like uh. Well, I mean, everyone... it's, it's like dating apps and Corona. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so true. That's so true. Yes. Is anyone using oh, there's so many dating app jokes during the quarantine though? Yes. Apparently yes. it spiked. The usage has spiked on dating apps. What are they doing? I don't understand. Like you can't meet anyone to what they're like. About actually, if you think about it though, through dating apps, no one was meeting anyone anyway. So they're just like, hey, just have a conversation. Just have a conversation. Um it's also been reported that they'll have the meet. It's just six feet apart. <laughs> yeah i mean uh david corral met his new boo on um on a on a dating app i think hey david congrats love is in the Tell air you. and like it just happened during this pandemic i'm like there's nothing like a pandemic to bring people that would never have been together together today <laughs> whatever works <laughs> it's just like whatever gets you to fall in love yeah. <laughs> good on him all right so all right, so I don't know if 
do you have anything that that um that you want is to flesh ready, out is ready um i mean i've been talking about uh like coffee and the upper echelons that come with it like you have your your keurig your nespresso your your mm, your, your delicious hazelnut frappuccino you mm-hmm. have your other extreme of the breaker breaker one nine large march sent you seven eleven gulp gulp pepsi and how there's no in between, right? But because of quarantine, it's like, we'll take anything we can get. Like, we'll take the milk with, like, the hint of coffee and all the sugar. <laughs> 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 yeah. And you know what I like about that that joke, too, is that, like, where does where does McDonald's fit in there, you know? Mm. With the McCafe? <laughs> like, I mean, are we... Is it premium? Because they're branding it as premium. But, like, you're branding something that's McDonald's. premium. That's hefty. That's bold. Man, they're getting impossible burgers though, True. right? They, they're they? trying to get bougie really? out here. Like they, yeah. Well, either dude. of you tried the impossible burger? Can can we go there? Like yes, we can go there. The name? Uh, it, I don't think it does warrant the name. Actually, mm. to be honest, I think that it's just like, you know, you know how they had like butter that was like regular butter, and it's like I can't believe it's not butter. Oh yeah. To me, like those two tasted like similar, like similar enough to be like okay i don't i don't know if it's butter or not but when when i had like the beyond burger versus regular meat there's a huge difference like like of course you're gonna be like wait is this like is this burger diet is this a diet burger um does it just give me the feeling that i'm eating a burger but it's it's nothing i don't know it's it's like tofu i feel like oh see i like tofu i'm i don't think it's bad but it's just definitely not meat that's what I'm saying. Like this is completely different. So yes, I think that I think that it does not warrant, <laughs> but I still think it's good. Do you, you understand? Okay, fair. I mean, so did you have it? Yes or no? Beyond burger. I, if the Impossible Burger is what they serve at Buzz Brews, then yes. I feel like, I don't like even their know that. vegan yeah. hamburger option. It's a cafe here, Parth. Do you know Buzz Brews? Nope. Nope, okay. I don't. All right. Late I night. Mean, I, I would. I would. I would never go out of my way lighting. to have 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 meat that like have something that's supposed to taste like meat and is not meat. I would just never do that. Uh, <laughs> All right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just not into yeah. that. It's not my scene. We're gonna do a bait and switch. We're having a potluck. Aaron and I are hosting. Wow. I'll know. I'll know. <laughs> I've, 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 I've had I've had the Beyond Burger and I was like, this is not this is not meat. This is bullshit. This is bullshit marketing. <laughs> I want my money back. And by the way, can't believe it's not butter. I w- when I had that the first time, I was like, yeah, this is not butter. It's like, it's not even, you're not even trying right now. <laughs> He's at the paid focus group. He's like, nope. Imagine Parth is just like, this is not ghee. You know? Imagine- <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I grew up eating ghee, okay? That's Indian butter. So yeah. you can't fake me out. I know what real yeah. churned butter tastes like. So I'm like, this is not, this is not as oily and as delicious as it can be. So therefore, it's not butter, okay? Can I say that ghee freaks me out though? Because I'm like, regular butter is supposed to be in the fridge so that it won't go bad or won't melt. But mm-hmm. with ghee, you can put it in the cupboard. You don't have to. You know, yeah, like, you whatever. Do like you don't need yep. to refrigerate it. So I'm just like, wait, is this healthy or is this not healthy? What's going on right now? No, it's like it's so natural that it can't be affected by nature. It's just so natural. It's like, it's just amazing. <laughs> Michelle's Michelle's response is so right. I'm just like, really? Nothing? Nothing? Can we put that to the test? Yes. When we all get back, get outside. 
She's going to buy some ghee. Yep. Yo. Did you guys ever participate in the uh, egg drop experience and you'd have this egg and you have to cradle it with some material so that when you drop it from a high distance, it wouldn't crack? That's what this reminds me of. Is like, we're going to take the ghee, we're going to wrap it in bubble wrap, drop it from the treehouse. I'll be like, oh, really? <laughs> with ghee, no, that was a, specifically. That, that, ghee, but with that, ghee. That egg drop thing was like something I did in physics class. I remember in high school. Hell Shit, yeah. that's a throwback right there. Yeah, that is a throwback. Yo, actually, this is what's great about Michelle. Like, I've 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 heard some of her stand up, and I'm just like, she's bringing back like some details that I don't remember, like or I I barely remember from elementary school, high school. <laughs> I'm like, yo, these hey, topics that make are you so question, deep right like, now. Why you did? This. Right. And some of those things are like, it makes you question why you did them. Like, why did we ever, I, I have never needed to wrap something in, in such a way that it doesn't break ever in my entire life. And we learned that shit in physics class. <laughs> I don't understand. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. True. All right. So, um, getting back to the, uh, to your joke about we'll take anything now. Coffee yeah. wise, we'll take yeah. dirty water with a Honest. little, with a, with a hint of cream. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that. I do like that joke. Um, I think it's because I think it's true. I think that I'm I'm talking from like a personal point of view. Like I make my own coffee and I would actually rather have like Joe Dirt's coffee now. I'm just like, I make my coffee so bad at home. Like I, I cannot. And like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm with you. I, I grew up, though, like the Israeli way is the powder. Right. So you put in the powder and then you add the hot water. Already, you know, going in what you're getting into. <laughs> oh, it's instant coffee? Okay. terrible. Yeah, the Nescafe, it's it's instant coffee, and it's just not great. It's not great. But I grew up on it, so there's, like, this nostalgia. I don't know if you have a similar oh, experience, Aaron. No, yes. You know, actually, I have, yes, I do have a, that same experience, but it's for stuff that's, like, like Wonder Bread and mayonnaise, mm. which used to be legit meals for me when I was a kid. <laughs> and Or, or um spanish rice and ketchup okay like these are things that i would never eat today never (laughs) but when i was a kid i used to eat them all the time so like when i remember the taste of it i'm just like oh yeah i was like you know like 12 13 and like we had nothing else in the fridge so like this is what we're just gonna eat you know you need to go back to your roots what are you doing kind of shitty person (laughs) wait are you saying that you have that do you put ketchup on your on your rice no, but like the basic meal for me was like was like rice and the, the rice and dal, and like when I eat rice and dal now, I still love that shit. So you know, I would I would never oh, make dude. that kind of statement, Aaron. I'd never eat that now. How dare you? You think you're bigger than than fucking rice and ketchup? I think so. Like right now, <laughs> so. it's, like, it's not even denial. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Fuck that shit. <laughs> so suck it, Heinz. Dude, you know, that's a really good story, though, uh, Michelle, because I think that you could also put that into um, maybe like another piece that you're writing, mm. like this idea that like, like you already knew that what you were going to get into with like this coffee that was like Nespresso. And you're just like, when I want to feel like I'm at home, like I just drink this thing that I don't even like, you know, I, I think that there's something really funny about that. Got it. I don't know. It's really good. Uh, awesome. Also, awesome. do you have anything, any other jokes that, that you had worked on? Uh, a lot of it's, just, it's not, it's not show ready. I do always love talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ooh, yes. 
any any yes. excuse, right? Because I was definitely that kid that had the full like between the pajama pants and like Burger King Kids Club would let you collect these bicycle spokes so you could get a whore. Nice, you had a set. I'm sorry, I heard you say a whore, but I know that that you said four, right? Yeah, like, yeah I, I heard did. whore. Yeah, I I totally heard that. I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> this Burger is a family King. friendly fucking podcast. Okay. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Uh, yo, that is so funny because, like, um, all right. So, in that case, what was your favorite movie in that case? Mm, I mean, it, it, it ends at two thousand and nine for me because that's when they started introducing CGI. I can't yes. Even. Yeah. No, I, I'm. Uh, I'm like still with you. Of, like, I have I have a five year old niece and twin three year old nieces. So, like, if they're gonna put it on, ugh, fine, twist my arm. But I'm gonna try to steer them in the right direction, guys. <laughs> uh all right because i gotta say Don't like there go, was vanilla ice okay yeah well all right so there was the first one that i you know the first uh teenage mutant ninja T- turtles was okay but i think that the the real juice was in the second one part two mm-hmm. part two with the ooze oh do you yeah. remember this i don't know like that that was my jam that was my jam <laughs> um and i even had a pizza party in dedication, well, you know, like one of my birthdays, I had a pizza party where I, I was just like, I don't want Spider-Man or whoever or Superman to come, you know, and entertain me. I want, you know, Leonardo. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Priorities were right. I was like, Honestly, know, I was so I never, excited. I could, I could never get into TMNT, though. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I just really? don't know. Like, you, mm. it's like a very, uh, I think you have to have been born in America to be into it. I don't know why. Like, I'm just not into that shit. TM, like for well, me, it was oh, Dragon Ball Z. Oh, oh Dragon Ball okay. Z was always dope, yeah. But wait, okay, so Michelle, I think that that then you would have loved this sketch in that case, the one that they just had on SNL. I think it was the the first uh, Saturday Night Live from Home episode okay. where they had like this animation of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as adults. What? You yeah, missed I this? this? I did miss the, the Was it like a TV Funhouse homage or something? Uh, it was, it was, um, it was like, they did like a three minute or four minutes, uh, you know, animated sketch where they all became grownups. They have kids and like, they just, they just like, they, they have like the daily stresses that uh, an adult would have, <laughs> but like, they're just, they're still the same, um, mutant Ninja Turtles that don't fight anymore though. Okay. But the real question is Michelangelo still a party dude. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that they made him a family man. I just lost a tear. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those are those are the, those are the ones that are affected the most. Like the people in like when they're younger are in a parting, and then when they turn into adults, that's it. Complete mm. one eight. Lose all sight. Yeah, yeah. They'll take they'll take the dust coffee and the it's like rice a broken person. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like, so we had that angle of like them being um, uh, which call it older adults. Mm-hmm. And dealing with those stresses uh, instead of like living in a sewer, which I think is mm-hmm. hilarious. Like, how do you go from living in a sewer as a, uh, you know, as a, as a bachelor and then you live in a regular house later? Like, is that like what every person thinks that a bachelor does? They're just like, oh, you're going to live in a dump and then you're going to have like a really nice house after you meet your wife or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like there's that angle right there. So. What what angles do you think you were playing around with when you're talking about like something like uh, nostalgic TV shows? 
Oh my goodness. It just, just the, the setup was different. I mean, you got very in depth with the character development for one so much so that when the hero gets hurt, you're hurt. I would like to see that be brought back instead of the rush okay. to the fight scene. Like, oh, okay. So for example, this isn't Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but, um, Eon Flux was on the film adaptation. Uh huh. Right. And this is like reference to like liquid MTV, which on Liquid MTV, Ian Flux was this this 25-minute cartoon nothing, right? But it was intriguing. The film, however, it just goes right into the fight scenes, just forgoes any character development, really. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's where I'm going with yeah. this. Okay, so you would like to bring back some of those moments that actually make you, like, root for the characters. Exactly. And stuff like that. Endear um, you. Awesome, awesome. And do you imagine it as like a like an animation style, um, uh, or live action? Flux or or what exactly? Well, like whenever you, I I just thought you were talking about like uh uh you want to bring back this aspect that has been lost, mm-hmm. but you want to do it for something like a like a nostalgic TV show or something like that. I don't necessarily think it needs to be animated, but if okay. it could be done well, why not? word 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 yeah yeah and then like all right so this this will obviously be like more of like a sketch or even like a spec really mm-hmm. yeah i got you awesome what do you think about that part would you watch would you watch something about like something that you've never known about apparently you've never seen um, <laughs> either, of <those> things. <laughs> either of these things and you're just like yo I'm going to stay real quiet. I'm like, I have no idea yeah, what I these mean, shows are. Yeah, I, I don't. Like, TMNT, like, we used to come on, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to change the channel. Fuck this shit. Oh, I don't want to watch this. So, you know, I'm, I wasn't... I mean, did you only watch... I'm not watch saying I hate Teenage Mutant... I'm, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying I, I hate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but if I ever saw them in real life, I would probably fight them. You know, I'd be like, get the fuck away from me. You know what I'm saying? It just creeped me out, the I mean, turtles. I, feel like, I don't know why. I feel like by nature... By nature, if you fight them, they're going to fight back. Yeah. And if you've ever seen any of the episodes, they're going to kick your ass, man. Yeah. No, they're not. They're like four feet tall turtles, sorry. Get the fuck out of here. Have you seen the well, next regular size adults of that show? Did you guys yeah, I'm not talking Alita about the CGI Battle one with, with uh, Alita ba- Battle Angel? Yes, Shit, that because, okay, so you have like this part human, part cyborg, okay? And they did, I, I want to say it was also an animation. But the so the film adaptation came out not too yeah, long ago. Yeah, Alita Battle Angel was yes, it to was like a head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She gets regressed to a head and somehow is able to like spring her neck guts up to this like behemoth of a monster and defeat the monster. So if like this little head, what I'm saying is, can defeat a foe. I mean, I wouldn't hate so much on the four feet tall turtles. Fuck turtles is yeah. what I'm saying. And actually. And, like, you know, what those movies really show you is that, like, no matter how big the fight is, as long as you have the heart, you'll get through it. And in that movie, Alita, when she got destroyed, I was just like, my God, I I, I, I thought it was funny because I was just like, man, she got she got beat. Like, everyone you know thought that called? she would get beat. You know what that's yeah. called? That's called plot armor. Okay? That's called plot armor. And that's usually from a writer. But in real life, there's no one to, like, write the turtles into defeating somebody, you know? You know what I'm saying? You saying no one wants to take on that that task? 
No, what I'm saying is in the movie, right? The writer decides who's going to win, right? Yeah. But in real I, life, if you yeah, ran into true. these four feet tall turtles, what are you going to do? You're going to kick the shit out of them. You're going to be like, hey, get away from me, turtle. And then you're going to beat the shit out of them. All right, be okay. realistic here. Are you? If you're trying to be realistic for realistic sake, there's never going to be a four foot turtle that's going to want to fight hey, you. I'm just going with your fantasy, okay? So fuck you. What are you talking about? You brought this in. <laughs> it's just like under what circumstance would you just see a turtle and be like i'm gonna I kill that and you guys started talking about turtles okay so if you ask me how i feel about mutant turtles you have the answer <laughs> fuck them <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i feel like like you have such a strong reaction to this turtle business no because like, like, so you you're asking me like hey how do you feel about uh mutant turtles uh fuck him whoa that's a really wrong answer part how dare you it's like excuse me what <laughs> you asked me how i feel aggressive <laughs> Yo, that's so ridiculous. I have never... This is... They, I, this is all right, so, Michelle, I've never heard him there. so passionate on a subject ever. Ever. Well, this is the go. most passionate. We found it. We found the pin. I want to segue... I want to segue into a more serious topic, though, with this. This is how they're treating Trump. Okay, this is <laughs> how the media is treating... <laughs> that, <laughs> that was my entire setup watching? right now. <laughs> that's, <what> <laughs> that's the message I'm trying to get across to the audience. Fake news. <laughs> Dude, man. That... Yo, like... <clears throat> That dude is still hilarious, man. And like, and he's yeah. even trolling Joe Biden now, which is even, it's it's so funny. It's like, it's like, I can't believe that we're living in this time right now. I can't believe it. Like, this is the time of like peak entertainment in a place where it should never be, you know? Mm. During it's a crazy. time, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like um, if we have, a, all right, if we have another four years, like how much, how much more material can we pump out where uh until until it just gets tired? I feel like in comedy, like even talking about Trump in comedy is a right. hard thing to do because it's already been done. And like yeah, you kind of want to look outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone else feel as though the tweets that he's comprising are are making up the future of an outfitter's table book? It's just waiting. Oh my god, it's yeah, gone. that could be possible. Mm. Uh, just a mm. under contract, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, you know, I feel like yeah. Trump is Trump has turned into like a topic where like when you go to a comedy comedy club, mm -hmm. right, and you're doing stand up there for the first time, they tell you the rules. They're like, yeah, you can't do dirty jokes, you can't do these kind of jokes, or no toilet humor or anything. There's gonna be a clause in the future where they're gonna be like, oh, and no Trump jokes, <laughs> uh, no Trump jokes, just because it's too easy, it's lowbrow humor, everyone does it. Wow. Uh, you know what? I think that that okay. I do think that that does happen now. Where like they're just like you can't do this because it's already been done. But like if you go to like an open mic and Michelle can tell you, she's not gonna stop you from telling any kind of jokes. No, I am not. Like, but you know, like, but if you do want to have like a unique perspective on it, I feel like that's you have a better opportunity at making someone laugh. But if it's no, but there are there are comedy clubs that tell you what you can't joke about. Though. Like backdoor comedy, for example, you can't joke about whatever you want there. It's like straight up. Like, I've gotten the light at the one minute or two minute mark because I talked about sex or whatever. They're like, oh, wow. you can't do any. You said you said dick pic, so we cut, we gave you a light at two minutes. No. I'm like, I thought wow. I had four minutes. Wow. Parth, yeah. can you calm down? This is our podcast and it's family friendly. Why are you talking about uh, <laughs> hey, penis no, it's coding? family fucking friendly, okay? <laughs> There's three F's in there, bro. Yes, TGIF. Have you, uh, uh, Michelle, have you have you been to, to uh, the back door uh, stand up? 
Oh, sorry, open mic. It's on my list. You're making it sound real appealing. <laughs> it's just like, all right, basically, don't speak. Just get up there and just <laughs> smoke it all in. Walk like a chicken. Done. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, like it's, it's. I mean, like I. What I like about um that open mic is that like the the ambiance is so that it's hard for you to get on a phone. Like you're most likely going to pay attention because the the room is dark. The oh, room is great. Okay, fair. It's a great room. So, it's a great room. Yeah. Like that's the one thing that I like out of out of everything about that place because there's like a two drink minimum as most most oh, places okay. are too. Yeah. But um but like that's the one thing I actually I do I do like about it because like when I went in there I was surprised that everybody was actually looking on stage and listening. You know, almost everybody, you know? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good room. Uh, I, and I think it's just because, like, like if there's too much light in a room, like, you could just check your phone real fast. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, when, when it's totally dark, like, in a movie theater, like, everyone knows. Everyone knows what you're doing. Your screen lit up. Lights up your face. Uh, so what we're saying you know, is backdoor. If you want to endorse, barely joking. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so Michelle, so have you, have you tried, um, to do like, oh, sorry. You went to LA briefly. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. All right, cool. Well, while you were there, mm -hmm. um, what kind of people like, I don't know, gave you like advice that you've used like today or like, and you would advise anybody who's trying to like perform a little bit better um, or like write a little bit better. Like what kind of stuff have you learned from some of those people? Oh yeah. The idea of workshopping something come in with having a script, but then be ready for actors to try it out on stage and the element of improv to work that in as well. Mm. I love workshopping something. Cause like you said, it's, it's, you have it one way in your, in your mind. And then when you see it perform, it's like, oh, I never would have thought about that delivery, that inflection, that intonation, but that actor made a choice and then yes. you get to go from there. Yeah. And like, have you directed many pieces yourself? Um, I'm starting to. That's also new. Starting to. Okay, so when you so have have you um, have you directed any comedies as of recent? Uh, like pre quarantine, no. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Pre move, probably no. I'm usually okay. I'm usually the one getting directed. Um, they oh, open. Okay. They usually open up the floor. Uh, it's very democratic. Uh, to giving your feedback as to what what you feel in the moment, but otherwise, yeah, not yet. Yeah, and you know, I think that that's that's something that I I was really uh, grateful for, because even when we were working on our Battle of the Sketches contest, yes. um, we did a table read first, and based on the table read, I was able to see uh, from like stuff that I've written what what jokes were working, what weren't working. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a really great way of like being like, okay, I do think that these pieces still need to be worked. So I think that there is a lot of value to what you just said. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I actually am looking forward to doing myself um, in the future. So whenever I write a piece, instead of just like eyeballing it or like just trying to revise it and rewrite it like seven times, like I usually do, mm -hmm. it might actually really be helpful just to sit some people down and don't look at the piece of paper and just look at your performers that you trust and see how they would do it and see if, if you get a good reaction. Right. I mean, I think it says a lot having being at a point where you have actors that you can trust too. I get that that's a part of the process too, is finding actors that comedically see your vision and can bring it yes. to life. And then beyond that, 
um, being able to to work with them. Now, <clears throat> you've been in theater for like your entire life, I'm sure. Oh, so, yeah. like, do you do you feel like it's uh, difficult to um, find a concrete four or five people that you can create projects with? A hundred percent. And I think you guys can get into this too. It's the idea of finding people you mesh with. Not only that, but also the aspect of being available because other things come through the pike, especially if they're trying to get picked up as a comedic writer in LA, insert city here, right? So oftentimes it's been, you'll have a mesh with someone and then they go off, they get discovered or whatever, right? There's some sort of Mm. conflict. So yes, to yeah. consistency. That's that's been a challenge. Not to say that's bad. I wish everybody to be successful, but the idea of uh, just finding a consistent partner has been a challenge for sure. Or team. I was wait wait yeah. wait. Let me let me get this straight. If you're not sabotaging your writing partner's success, are you really writing partners? <laughs> I just want to ask that question. Is that the just want to ask that. I just want to ask that question real quick. All right, let's be realistic. <laughs> if you're not successful, it might be because you're writing partner. No. <laughs> hey, man, imagine friendships are broken after listening to this. Oh hey God. man, you know what? It's been ten years. Uh, we've been writing partners for five. I think we need to stop. It's like we need to stop sabotaging each other and saying Mailing that. your stories. We want to hear about them. I, you know what that that would actually be a really really funny segment for sure <laughs> just like the idea of like like i fired my best friend pretty much <laughs> he was giving me horrible advice yeah no that's really good that's really good um so part, when you find those yeah. people that <laughs> i was just gonna illustrate like how wonderful it was i mean that day that we had that that table read for for your scripts aaron i mean we we had the magic there were so many awesome actors that could bring your words to life man you know what? and there's another thing that that michelle you do really fantastic uh fantastically or good whatever the word is that you do great uh which is like you you actually bring people together right mm-hmm. and um i want to know like like what got you into that mode of being like i i need to constantly connect with these people um upkeep the upkeep these relationships and like how how i don't know how do you manage that and when did you think that that was important because you do such a good job at that like i remember for for an example like when i was going through some of the programs i went through i found it to be like difficult to like stay in touch with people Mm. but Mm -hmm. but you do it so effortlessly so kind of like what what's like your secret you know Uh, honestly i it's not necessarily a conscious thing. It's just something that's been a part of my personality since day one. Maybe the idea of like wanting to workshop and wanting to work on something and knowing there's only so many times that I could recite it aloud before like I grow tired of it. So I need a fresh pair of eyes. I don't know when that exactly came to be, but it's, it's definitely been a part of the process for a very long time. And, and honestly, I kind of feel like maybe it's karma. The idea of just like, being good to others, right? Like I'll yield some good project. Yeah. I agree with that. <clears throat> Parth, I mean like you're uh you're in New York now. And like how 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 easy do you think it is for you to to mesh yourself around like people who are always busy? Pretty much. Are you interviewing me? I'm on every episode of this podcast. No, but are like, you interviewing me? I'm I... on every episode. No, <laughs> no, I'm just like Uh no, uh <laughs> No, I don't know. Like when I when I moved here, my goal was to start making connections. Obviously, right? Because you're doing I'm doing comedy now in a new city, nice. so that was a plan. And I don't know. It's it. 
It's obviously stopped because of the coronavirus, so I don't know how to answer the question how it would have gone. I was hoping that I would meet new people and make connections that later on would... I mean, similar to what I had in Dallas, right? I, I mean, I had Aaron, then Michelle. I'd just gotten to know you right before I moved. Uh, I knew... Lo I mean, I've known Logan for a while. I've known a few other people. So I think it's basically you need to find people who you mesh with. I agree with you, Michelle, on that, where you find somebody who can look at your jokes and understand what you're trying to say and give you the appropriate feedback. But I have a question for you guys. You guys were talking about how the table read went great, right? Because you yeah. had such great actors. Mm. But here's my question. Say you took that same sketch that Aaron had yeah. and let's just say you don't have good actors or people you didn't mesh with and it didn't sound that good. What happens to the value of that sketch? Do you think the value of that sketch goes down or you're not sure anymore? Say the table read wasn't good and you had to throw that sketch away. What would you do then? You know, so my perspective on it is, yeah, I think you should find people and great actors to work with, but I don't think they should carry as much weight sure, as you might think. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, at the end of the day, it's your piece of work. And it, I mean, when it comes to art, at the end of the day, the the basic rule that I go with is I'm trying to write material that I would want to hear. Okay. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that carries a lot of weight for me personally, at least. Like, I mean... <laughs> Aaron and I have been writing partners for how long? Like three years now. And I take his input. He takes my input. But we sometimes just don't take the input. We're like, I agree with him. That's a good bit. But I'm not going to add it into my piece because uh -huh. it's not what I'm picturing in my head. Yeah. So I think that's something that you need to you need to counter with. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, in terms of, of pressure, for sure. My question, my follow-up would be, has there been a point where, like, you didn't take a note and for better or for worse like the the sketch went any certain way or the writing went any sort of way like the outcome wasn't what you expected or maybe you should have i don't know oh that's a I good mean, question it had, I've, I've had that i've had that where uh i've had i've had both where aaron gave me a, a piece of input for one of my bits and mm -hmm. It just heightened the crap out of my bit. Like I wasn't able to picture the level of heightening that he described and that made my piece better. But I've also had people give me input where they're like, oh, I was reading the first page of your sketch. And then on the second and third page, it went somewhere else. And I wanted to go actually the way I thought it was going to go. And at that point, I disagreed. You know, at that point, I'm not going to take your input because that's great. You had something else in your mind about where the sketch was going and it didn't go that way. But that doesn't mean I'm going to change the tra trajectory, right? Because you're one person mm. and I'm trying to reach a mass audience and I want them to hear this perspective, right? I'm not writing a sketch for one person. I so I, I get, yeah, so I guess that's the balance, right? You take a director's... So again, it goes back to this thing that we're, we're repeating again and again, which is important is find somebody who understands your vision then the input is val valuable, right? Yeah. Some rando, some rando reading your sketch for the first time and giving your input, it might be great, but at the same time, if they don't understand what you're trying to say, it doesn't mean shit, right? I think that's notable too. I mean, the actors that we brought on board, Aaron, for the table read, we knew. Yeah, like, yeah. you worked with them Dallas before. Comedy House. Exactly. Yeah, working with them. I just worked with Lauren uh, in an all-women's comedy show over at Stomping Ground. So, yeah. Yeah. And, like, there's... All right, so... There's a lot of truth to what, you know, Parth is saying that, like, you can't write a sketch for basically, you know, for another, per for one other person to, like, not like it or not see it that way. But my question to you, Parth, is if you had um, 
like a table read with like just say 10 to 15 people, which is like a decent size, right? It's actually bigger than most table reads, but uh, just say if you had between 10 to 15 people at a table read and the way that you're expecting your um, your table read, you know, characters, audience members um, to react to certain jokes, they just didn't land. Now, would you would you then go back and say, I probably need to revise this or do you just like, you know, just hardcore through, uh, you know, not hardcore, but you just go through with what you think is right. Well, so, I mean, I think the perspective comes into play of of having the right balance. Because, I mean, Michelle, you're an actor, so you've worked with probably a lot of directors and writers. Mm-hmm. And you know the job of the director is to tell the actors how to perform. So, I think, right. to answer your question, Aaron, it becomes, what's the relationship between the writer and the director, not the performer? Right? Oh. So, in your case, when you guys were doing the table read, you guys didn't really have a director. Aaron was kind of the writer. You... You guys were the performers and he took your input. So he was also kind of the director in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like it was his sketch. He was willing to take your input. But again, Aaron, you and I have worked on shows at Stomping Ground and at DCH where we know who the director is. They read our piece and then they tell the performers how to perform. Ah. So if sometimes a line isn't landing, it's actually the performer because on page the line is funny and vice versa. Right. Hmm. So so I think that balance you have to understand, it's not. I'm not going to have 10 or 15 people perform my sketch and then completely blame it on them either. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, if I'm clearly seeing somebody not saying the line, how I pictured it in my head, I'm going to go talk to the director or if I'm the director, give them the advice. Hey, actually, this is how I want the line to be said. Mm. So it's not only it's not only, you know, you wrote a line and the actor said it a certain way and it didn't land or like, oh, I got to fucking revise the line. No, what's the tone? Right. Sure. At the end of the day when you're just reading something, everyone's going to have a different tone in their head, right? Everyone reads something in a different way. Right. So when you, when you, when you're shooting something at the end of the day, that's why, that's why a director is so important. Yes. If yes. you think about a film, uh, when you think about a film or anything that you're watching, it's not actually the writer who decided the tone. It was the director. The question is, what's the relationship between the writer and the director? Yes. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Okay. So I, I hear you on a lot of those points and I do feel like I you know, I don't know if I'm conflicted or or what, but I would like to hear your guys' opinions, starting with Michelle, on like if uh, if j- just say a scene or a joke, just say a joke. If a joke didn't land, and we're like um, on stage or in a video, is it the performer or is it the director? Like how how does that responsibility um, split in that way? Like, is it like 50% director's fault, 50% performer's fault? Or do you think that there's more weight fault. on the I think it's director? A but uh, Michelle, you, you answer first what you think. I mean, as a, as a perspective of a performer, what do you think? From the performer's perspective, I think it's equal parts because the you, you hired the actor in theory because they saw your vision and then also the director could execute using that actor as a pawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you would say like basically 50-50, I feel yeah. you. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, director, sometimes writer, for all we know. Like, maybe it was too wordy. The line was too wordy. You know, I feel like... My my favorite example to go to is Neil Brennan and Dave Chappelle, mm. right? If you've seen the Chappelle show... Your favorite person. You have to, I swear. Right. You, you have to understand, right? Like, Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan have been writing partners for, like, plus 20 years or whatever, Neil Brennan directed almost every episode. Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan wrote 
almost every actually they wrote every episode and neil brennan basically directed every episode he was the one who mostly did the direction mm. so right there it kind of exemplifies that if neil brennan didn't understand what dave Chappelle and him were writing he wouldn't be able to direct so i think you know Aaron, you and I are writers and performers. Michelle, you're a performer, but none of us. I think we need like a director to come in and be like, actually, no, it is kind of my fault too, you know? Right. <laughs> and like, well, not yeah. take the blame because I don't. I don't consider it a fault of anyone when you're creating this kind of art. Mm. I think it's mostly whose responsibility is to make sure the best version of whatever you're doing comes out. It could be situational mm. too, right? Just the the wrong room, wrong crowd. Like, True. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, yeah. To factor in. So does it, it begs the question, do you need a person to wear many hats? Like you're, you're listing a, an example, Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan, where Neil Brennan had multiple roles. It's easy yeah. for a person to understand your vision when they're, they, they've been so integrated exactly. into the project. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, let that me ask you this, Aaron, when you were doing, when you were doing the, when you guys did this battle, the uh, battle, of the sketches thing, imagine if there was a director, right? Now everything is filtered through another third person. I mean, right? I was so, technically the director. Yep. Um, right, right. But I'm just yeah. saying, if there, w if if you weren't the director in this case, and there was a third person, how much weight would you put in that director's opinion? You would put a lot. You would make sure that's a director who completely understands what you're trying to say to get that input or output from the performances, right? Uh, so, you know what? I, I yes, I do. I do understand where you're coming from now because, like, there were some pieces that um, I've written that somebody else directed, and I the like I thought that the direction um, wasn't. I blamed the director. I would. I didn't even blame the performer so much. Exactly. But I was just like, the director could have done this, 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 and this, and this to make it better. But it like from from my perspective, just watching it, I'm just like that was that was mostly the director's responsibility to to make. Stand up sure makes you forget that. Mm. That's the thing. Mm. Stand up makes oh. you forget that. Because mm. think about it. What, what is stand up, right? Stand up is us writing our jokes and then going up on stage and performing it. And then you have a friend to tell you afterwards what hit and what missed, what you could improve. Sure. That, mm. that friend is actually the director, right? Like okay. Aaron would watch my bits and tell me what landed, how I can say things better. Aaron was a director for that bit. You get what I'm saying? Like you, you don't realize, but there is direction there. That's interesting because Michelle, when you write your stuff and you perform your stuff, do you do you record yourself? Absolutely, a hundred percent. I I encourage it all day. Awesome, yeah, yeah. And then, like, do you ever are you brave enough to send it out to people to? Oh yeah, for yeah, critiques? no shame. At this Ooh. point, it's like like yeah, attack because there's no other way to grow. I mean, if you just, I find it limiting to just take something and and then perform it without having any feedback along the points of that process i mean don't 100 I mean, yeah. personally that that's my choice yeah i agree with that that's awesome that's awesome because you know like i see only some people do it only some right like even going to um uh, open mic mondays with michelle um i would see like just a couple of performers just go up there with with no camera on them and uh i just think that that's harder to pinpoint whether your some of the stuff is working or not or mm -hmm. if you're delivering it the way that you're expecting for it to be delivered um so when you when you watch back your own tapes and this is a question for michelle because i think that part already answered this question already but um like how many times do you watch your own tapes before you say okay i think i got it and then you can just archive it delete it right you know that kind of stuff like what do you think 
I mean, I've heard different perspectives on this. I, I remember having this one casting director, Todd Todoroff, and he said, you have to rehearse it a hundred times before you even document it, right? So ideally, mm. in a perfect world, when you have that time, yes, I try to get it out there as often as possible, rehearse it, and then record it, and then feedback. Uh, it just kind of depends on the situation. So, yo, that's that's awesome because, like, uh, you do a lot of stuff where, uh, like, you'll just come up with fresh new material for, you know, like, three weeks three weeks in a row, right? Um, and how often do you how, – how much time do you think that you spend on the writing if, if you're coming up with new material so fast? Uh, right now, at this point, it's been a lot of tweaking. So I would mm -hmm. say it's more of the rehearsing and the execution, the actual performance of getting the material out there than it is writing. I got you. I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, <clears throat> I think that's a really great tool to just record yourself and like watch yourself. I, I think that personally, I think I only maybe watch the video like three times. I make my tweaks. And then yeah, I just kind of like see if I got better by recording myself again when I when I get on stage again when I perform sure. again. And I'm just, but how many times do you go over it though? Like you go over yourself a lot though. Well, I do go over myself a lot. Before, yeah. Right. So you go to, you go to different mics. Um, I know there are a lot of uh, groups on Facebook too. You can submit your material and then mm -hmm. get feedback. So it just kind of depends. Oh, and then uh, this is a this is another really great question for you know just open mics in general uh michelle you're a host of the open mic mondays yes and i kind of want to get your perspective on this which is um if you're in a new city and you want to start up a new mic um hmm? this might be really really interesting and useful to know of how to even do it and what to expect and what would be like your dream scenarios for open mics okay full disclosure um, prior to this mic, I actually was living in South Florida, and so I was running a mic out of Fort Lauderdale, and I'd actually been approached by that director to show run. And then when it came to the circumstance of Chocolate Secrets, it was very similar. I walked in. I had zero intention of wanting to put on live events, but I knew they had that back room, and I was curious as to what the heck they were doing with it. I just moved back to Dallas, and um, the uh, the gentleman, Ollie, he had asked me as to the, like what all I had done. I talked to him about running mics, and he said, would I be interested? So he had approached me in that case as well. Um, I, I think that that's kind of a, a lucky situation. Um, that's not to say that if you are exploring venues and looking into live event spaces, that the general manager couldn't be someone you strike up a conversation with and say, hey, like how exactly are you using the space? Or even going on that particular venue's website and seeing how they're using that space. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, and, it's, yeah. It's, it's twofold. <laughs> it's twofold, so, right? Like there's there's the idealistic situation, right? So compartmentalize that. And then there's also the idea that um, sky's the limit, go in, be brave, see see if you can make something happen. And when you made your, uh, your connection, like did you also, like was it ever about like, money or was it more about like the exposure for you like Experience just to get other people for sure yes. yes to have the platform because i yes. know how how valuable a platform can be in the sense of just having the opportunity awesome. why not for others yeah so like parth has been uh thinking about opening um starting an open mic in new yes. jersey since since there's uh there's not that many and um what do you think that he would expect from like the first couple of open mics? 
Like, what kind of crowds should he be expecting? What kind of of turnout? Stuff like that. Honestly, I I think a lot of it depends on marketing, too. So just understanding what your resources are out there, Parth. Man, there's so many, like, websites where you can list it, let alone social media and friends, too. I mean, are are you going in completely blind? you have a team? I mean, I know a few people who would be interested in doing it with me. I'm just... It just seems like I know it's a lot of work, and so that's one of the main reasons where I'm like, kinda, so if you have like a venue that's supporting you and kind of just lets you do your own thing, they don't micromanage. It's awesome. So it just mm-hmm. it, it's kind of it, it depends on a a host of values like the the venue, um, the people that would want to come through. Do they want to come through on a weekday and a weekend? I would start polling. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So you like basically you have to really market this open mic just as much as you will market yourself yes in a way yes initially right eventually it catches on people like it they have a good time so they're going to promote the experience your fan base grows and uh what kind of uh uh situations uh did you not expect um that you were run into because like you you run into comics all day every day right so So what kind of personalities are we, have you had to deal with that were just like, whoa, I mean, I don't want to do that again. Well, it's not even, it's at the the end of the day as a host, I see my position as I'm providing you the platform. That's it. I'm not going to direct you. Uh, I'm not here to to film you. So as far as documenting your experience, um, that's something that if if you want for it, you have to take on independently. Um, Mm. And, and I find that a lot of comics sometimes, and I shouldn't say a lot, I should say I've definitely seen, since day one, since like, for example, um, open my Monday started, you'll have comics doing the same joke that they were telling a year ago and it wasn't Ooh, hitting then. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of rough from a host perspective to see them do that. Like you want, you want to, if they ask for your feedback, right. Um, but yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, like you, you got to know your role and I, that's what I see my role as is like, I'm just, I'm just here to host. I mean, okay, so one of the main things here, though, is the people I've reached out to. New Jersey is a different climate from Dallas, for sure, sure, right? New Jersey and New York, different climates, 100%. Definitely a bit more uh, competitive. And Oh, yeah, first tier. I sure. feel, I, yeah, yeah. And, like, the people here are great performers. And a couple of guys who, honestly, I was hoping to, I might, reach out to them again during this quarantine to do something but like i was hoping i did make a few connections as soon as i started hitting open mics here and they were giving me input on how to start my own mic or whatever and they're like don't start an open mic here right there are already enough open mics in terms of there are comedy clubs in new jersey or venues in jersey that are already doing it right who and when i say venue i mean the venue runs the mic the manager who owns, so for example, like whoever is the manager of Chocolate Secret would be running the mic, right. to give you an example, right. right? So a lot of the other comedians that I know who have their own mics, they're not mics, they're shows. They put on a show once a month at a venue that le- lets them do it. They share the profit and everything because profit does matter here, definitely. Sure. Uh, just because the way things are more expensive and everything. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I was told and what I understood was pick about, seven to eight comics maybe 10 if you can do an hour to two hours maybe and give those comics about seven to ten minutes right Mm -hmm. and just have them perform and give them an opportunity and 
give them some help them market it they'll help you market your show and just do the show once a month or twice a month and it's a show that means people are paying to come in right and you're not charging them but but there's a minimum of drinks or something like that so the venue can make some money and they'll give you some of the profit and eventually if it's a success you'll be getting paid to do it sure right just because of because because would your comics also be paying like no, they wouldn't. Okay. They would just be getting the exposure. Okay. But you would... It, it becomes a show then, right? And point of a show is to put on quality material. So no one is no one is coming in. Or like, for example, in, in backdoor comedy, I'm bringing it back again to them. But uh, when, when... Is it backdoor or backroom? Backdoor. Oh, I forgot the name. Mm-hmm. Backdoor, yeah. The audience members have to pay... It's a two-drink minimum for them to watch open micers. Now, I think, personally, that's unfair because these are comics who are trying their material. It's not guaranteed to make the audience laugh, and yet they're kind of paying for it. Where in a show, laughs are guaranteed. You you vetted the comics. Hey, bring your five to ten minutes of solid material that you've tried and tested. So the comics appreciate it, too. Okay, cool. I'm guaranteed to have a full house because these people are expecting to have good quality content and I'm going to bring my good quality content and get, get good laughs. I can shoot a video out of it. Right. Sure. I can put it on YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the suggestions I've gotten here. And I, and I kind of like it. That's sure. what I prefer to do just cause I've met so many comics here who were so funny that I would be like, dude, I would love Easy. to would be, be on find... the same stage as you. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. sounds like you'd so, be able to curate a show easily and set it up for success. Ex- I think that's the big, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Winning model. We're waiting that's, on our invite. <laughs> that's like some amazing advice. Yeah. That's like really amazing advice, especially coming from, you know, like anybody who does uh like one of these open mics and hosts, like you would think that that they're all professionals. They've been doing this forever, but that's that's not true. You start from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So and um like, can you be bribed? That's another question. <laughs> As a host, <laughs> if someone's just like, "Hey, listen, fifty bucks, I go next." Are you gonna, are you gonna take the moral high road? No, I take the fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm just going off. That's always the wrong answer. That's always the wrong answer. It's hilarious. No, but 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 with with the with the curation though, it kind of makes you think. If you've curated the show, it's gonna be comics that are going to have a similar sense of humor or a sense of humor that you vibe with, that they made you laugh, right? That's basically it. And I think the question you need to ask yourself is how commercial is your own sense of humor, right? That's a really important question because if you end up picking comics who are doing dad jokes because you fucking love dad jokes and you do dad jokes and now you have 10 comics and you doing dad jokes and people have come and you've told them, hey, it's comedy night at the alcohol cellar or whatever fucking place (laughs) you're doing it at, right? Suddenly, the audience is going to be pissed because you told them it was comedy night and majority of the people there are Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle fans and you gave them dad jokes. What are you going to do then, right? Yeah. So that's a question you need to ask. It's like a very... It's not easy to do, but it if if the model works and it ends up being a hit or a success or whatever, you're you're set, you know? I would take it one yeah. You made a name for yourself. I would take it one step further and it's understanding your demographic in that neighborhood too, right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, you want yeah. the commercial yeah. for sure, like in theory, and obviously your comics, you're relying on them to, to market themselves, like that old-fashioned model of passing out flyers, now it's become virtual. Yeah, but the idea of like, okay, if you're at New Jersey Cellar in like a suburb, being able to appeal to that market, you know, depending on where you land in terms of your venue. Yeah. Does that make sense? Demographic. Yeah. 
But there's some comics here, though. I'm not gonna lie. Like I know, I know some guys who don't curse. Like they're very, uh, they're they're clean people. Not clean comics, but they're clean. I'm talking about as audience members, guys who don't really like dirty sense of humor, or they're not into those like messed up memes and stuff. Mm. But I have gone to comedy clubs with them, and they've seen comics perform about some messed up shit, and they've laughed their asses off. Mm. So it, it, I feel like. It's all about being commercial. It's all about being a comic who, even if somebody doesn't think about taboo topics, but if you bring up a taboo topic in front of them and make them laugh, mm-hmm. you're. A, I think you have figured out comedy at a really high level, right? Because, like, I mean, how many sure. people do you know who don't watch the Chappelle show, right? But, like, I know people who don't curse, but they watch the Chappelle show. They're like, I love that shit. Mm. And he's talking about the most messed up shit. And he's cursing and all that stuff. So I think it's, I think at the end, the thing is, how funny are you, right? How many subjective. people can you make laugh in a room? Subjective, man. Right. But I, I, mean, I don't think I it's subjective it. though. I think, I think there's a balance. I think comedy is subjective, mm-hmm. but also there are certain things that makes. I think it's subjective to the extent ninety percent. I think that's what I would say. Uh, you can be objective to the 90% level too, though. And you can say, I can make objectively 90% of the people here laugh. And then the 10% can say, yeah, subjectively, I didn't think it was funny. Whatever. Who gives a fuck about them? You made 90% of the room laugh, right? Yeah. So I think you need to consider that as well. Hmm. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're at a, an hour and, and 11 minutes right now. Oh, that flew. I know. It happens so fast. Right. Do you have any... Um, uh, wrap wrap up points. Uh, last story. Remarks. Last words. Any famous last words? <laughs> no, not no, really. No, not really. Well, in that case, Michelle Rose Dome. Hey. Yay! Got, Got it. it. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Oh, we really appreciate you. You gave us some really good notes on you know creating um, uh, an open mic from scratch. Sure. Uh, you know, building connections and. You know, with people in different cities, yes. uh, you so know, important. director and actor who who gets the whip, all this good stuff. Thank you so much for being on. Um, uh, where can we find you? That's another pleasure. question. Yes. So my social media is as follows. You got Facebook.com backslash Michelle Rose Dome. You got Twitter with Mitch Rose for real. And you got Instagram at the real Michelle Rose. Excuse me. No, it was recently updated. Michelle Rose for real. Oh, is it for or or is it for the number? It's it's oh on Twitter, yeah. There's a four. Yeah. M I T H the number four, Mitch Rose, and then Rose R O S E, Mitch Rose for real. Nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Yo, this has been Ann Figueroa yep. and Parv Shori with the Barely Joking Podcast, guys. Do not forget. Woo! Do not forget to follow us on at Barely Joking on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. That's right. You know the origin story now, guys, so. <laughs> True. Interesting origin story, yeah. <laughs>